Texas Hill Country Wineries invite you to drink it all in at the 2022 Wine and Wildflower Journey. Right now, through April 22nd, this self-guided tour is your passport to exploring over 40 wineries in Texas Hill Country. As a passport holder, you can visit up to four wineries per day over 23 days, plus receive exclusive discounts on bottle purchases. Buy your digital passport at texaswinetrail.com and head for the hills, now through April 22nd. And I'm excited to announce the launch of Somli, a direct-to-consumer marketplace for artisan Texas wine. If you're a Texas winery, claim your free winery page today. Soon you'll be able to list all of your wines and club memberships for wine lovers to purchase on Somli.com. Or if you're a wine consumer like me, search for your favorite local wineries on Somli and give them a great review. Please join me in spreading the word and helping folks discover the Texas wine industry. Follow Somli.wine on Instagram for the latest updates. Welcome to This is Texas Wine. I'm Shelley Wilfong, a wine educator, writer, and Texas wine enthusiast. On this podcast, I share Texas wine news, interview the most important people in the Texas wine industry, and bring you the information you need to be a more informed Texas wine drinker. Thanks for joining me on this Texas wine journey. This is episode 42. Today, you'll hear my interview with Kyle Johnston and Tiffany Farrell of Hack Winery in Santa Fe, Texas. We discuss not only Hack's rich history, but also what's new since a new ownership team purchased Hack last year. And there's plenty of Texas wine news. Whether you're a regular listener or joining in for the first time, welcome to This is Texas Wine. Over 40% of Texas is in an extreme drought, and marked wildfires in central Texas have made national news. Fueled by dry and windy conditions, almost 123,000 acres have burned across the state, according to data provided by the Texas A&M Forest Service. That's more than the previous three marches combined. The hardest hit area is Eastland County between Abilene and Fort Worth, where more than 54,000 acres burned. Many homes and businesses have burned and one life was lost. The Texas wine community has been sad to see the devastation at Bluffdale Vineyard in Hood County. Their vineyard was entirely consumed by the L fire, but thankfully the winery was unharmed. Owner Teresa Hayes posted in a Facebook post that they're more grateful than sad. She said, I appreciate and love all of you and thank you so much for making this experience more tolerable. I want to especially thank all the fire departments involved in fighting this fire. It was definitely a tough one, and the magnitude is still incomprehensible. If you want to help these communities get back on their feet, there are plenty of options. One is the West Texas Wildfire Relief Fund that was set up by the Texas Farm Bureau. It's for farmers and ranchers who need help covering unreimbursed agricultural-related losses. There are also funds set up for specific counties, as well as one for Big Country, a 12-county area around Abilene. I'll link to these in the show notes. Much smaller, but still scary, was Buddy Fire, just north of High. It was about 1,400 acres in size, and smoke was visible from some wineries in the Hill Country. Air resources were utilized to help the ground crews with stopping the fire's spread, according to earlier updates from the Forest Service. On a much happier note, bud break has started in some Hill Country vineyards. Paul Bonarigo and Brian says that their vineyard has bud break and that it's about three weeks later than normal. 
Southern Living Magazine recently did a story on College Station, and the author recommends making the 15-minute trip to Bryan to visit Messina Hoff. She says, though the winery has expanded to other locations, this is their original vineyard and also boasts 11 rooms at its on-site villa, where you'll also enjoy a delicious home-cooked breakfast. Treat yourself to wine tastings and gourmet meals at the restaurant next door. San Antonio news outlets have been doing a great job talking about Texas wine. KENS Channel 5 just did a six-minute segment on Judith Raven's Esperanza Winery, which is in Blanco. The vineyard is in Spring Branch, and Judith has been at it for 22 years. Judith said that they've doubled their business during COVID and did a lot of curbside deliveries to customers. She says her customers are looking for well-priced wine, variety, and that they enjoy the interaction at the small winery that's just a bit out of the way. The San Antonio Express News published an article called It's Always Wine O'Clock, Texas Hill Country Winery Industry Sees 625% Growth in Decade. Now, we could certainly poke some holes in the statistics that they used based on the inability to get a good list of wineries. That's because the TABC's method of collecting winery data is a bit problematic, but it's still a cool article. And it quotes lots of Texas winery folks like Jennifer McGinnis at Bending Branch, January Weesey of the Texas Hill Country Wineries Association, and Sarah and Bryce Garrett, who relocated last year from California and have big dreams for growing grapes and making wine in Texas. VinePair has a new article about Texas wine on its website. It's called, If You Love the Wines of Bordeaux, It's Time to Give the Texas Hill Country a Try. They write that American drinkers who love the flavors and textures of the southern French wines but also want to support domestic wineries and save a bit of cash just might find their new favorites in the Texas Hill Country. They say that these wines bear many similarities to Bordeaux and Rhone wines while also embracing and showcasing their own unique characteristics. The author notes that while the Hill Country isn't exposed to any coastal climate elements like those that are in Bordeaux, the year-round temperatures impart enough similarities to allow winemakers to grow Bordeaux varieties and also gain inspiration from the region's production method. It's worth noting that Central Texas has longer and hotter summers than Bordeaux, as well as far less of a diurnal shift or the difference in daytime and nighttime temperatures. So as a result, the grapes grown here in Texas have bigger and bolder flavor profiles. Another point the author makes is that the terroir of the Texas Hill Country has a similar soil as in certain parts of France, specifically the presence of limestone. The author says that the soil type imparts valuable nutrients to grapes and helps them retain moisture during stretches of hot, dry weather. Chris Brundrett of William Chris Vineyards is quoted saying, The secret is getting out. I definitely see the comparisons to southern France and I love them, but the hill country is its own individual region. I think that it's important for Texas wines to evolve and to develop their own identities. We're grateful for the chance to tell the story of Texas through our wines. Two of the wineries that participate in the Texas Wine Collective, which is the new name for 4.0 Cellars, have a new consulting winemaker. Jean Huffliger will be working with the existing winemaking teams at Brennan Vineyards and Lost Oak Winery to enhance estate farming practices and wine quality. 
He's best known for starting Alpha Omega Winery in Napa. He was winemaker and general manager there. Then after 12 years, he became a consulting winemaker. Now he's got a long list of high-profile clients and has released dozens, if not hundreds, of high-scoring wines. A press release states that his diverse scope of clients and wines produced has afforded him the opportunity to glean varietal and terroir-specific insights that span an exceptionally large range of grape varieties, climates, regions, farming practices, and cellar teams. For Jean, Texas offers a distinctly new horizon to explore. He says, I'm excited because in an era of globalization, being able to create a wine that has a sense of place is the most important thing to me. And in Texas, I have an incredible opportunity to help these wineries discover the true DNA of Texas wine. I found an interview on YouTube in which John said that, and I quote, Texas is the hot topic. I think I'm going to personally invest in Texas because it looks like Napa 30 years ago with the same energy, with the same resources. Then he goes on to talk about the population that has access to Texas wine country. And he also talks about the growing season. He says he enjoys the culture. I love the Texas pride. They have a real true identity, and they're really proud of it. When you have such a situation, it usually gives good results. McPherson Cellars is also part of Texas Wine Collective, but it seems that only Lost Oak and Brennan will be working with Sean. If you're keeping count, that's two consulting winemakers with deep ties to Napa that have announced plans to work in Texas just this month. I hope you all are ready for this wild ride that is Texas wine. I'll link to both the press release and the YouTube interview in the show notes. I was thrilled to be included in a small group tasting event during which winemakers and owners from Wedding Oak, Fall Creek, and Ron Yates and Spicewood presented their wines. The group gathered here in Dallas to taste through a selection of wines from each producer. Each winery presented a white wine, a current release, a library release, a barrel sample, and a wildcard wine. So yes, that was 15 wines, but it was a great opportunity to taste some old Texas wine and understand how it might evolve with more barrel age and bottle age and also ask questions of these great winemakers. Dallas wine writer Andrew Chalk was there and has already written up a thorough description of each of the red wines that were meant to be tasted in relation to one another. From Wedding Oak, there were three vintages of the Tioja Red Blend. From Fall Creek, three Meritus Bordeaux Blends. And from Ron Yates, you guessed it, three Tempranillos. I was so excited to be able to taste with these pros and see what's coming next for Texas wine. I'd pick favorites, but really that would be near impossible because they were, they were all delicious in their own right. Thank you to Matt McGinnis from Big Thirst Marketing and for all the wineries for putting on this great event. I'll also link to Andrew's full write-up. There are a couple of big events that you might want to mark on your calendar. Visit San Antonio and the James Beard Foundation are pairing up for the Tasting Texas Wine and Food Festival, October 27th through 30th. And Rootstock, a Texas wine festival, is happening in Waco this month. That's April 22nd. And I am excited to announce my participation in the Wine and Food Foundation's Toast of Texas on Sunday, June 5th in Bee Cave on the west side of Austin. The main event is a sip-and-stroll-style event featuring wine samples from some of the best wineries in Texas. You can meet with the winemakers and enjoy some great food. You even have the opportunity to purchase wine from the event, thanks to HEB. And new this year, there's a members-only VIP event preceding the main event. 
I'll be presenting my top four Texas wines of 2022 and leading a panel of the winemakers. We'll be tasting and talking about the wines, of course, but also talking about the 2022 growing season, the state of the Texas wine industry, and answering questions from guests. Again, the VIP event is for members only. So if that's not an incentive to join, I don't know what is. Registration starts April 1st and is staggered based on membership types. Non-members can buy tickets for the main event starting April 15th. And listeners of This Is Texas Wine get a discount for registration. Message me for the code or watch my social media for more information. I hope to see you there. Find links to the Wine and Food Foundation and all of these stories in the show notes at thisistexaswine.com. And that's the Texas Wine News. This podcast is sponsored by the Texas Wine Marketing Assistance Program, a program at the Texas Department of Agriculture that assists the Texas wine industry in promoting and marketing Texas wines and educating the public about the Texas wine industry. Texas wine has a rich history that dates back to the Spanish missionaries that settled around El Paso as early as 1650. The Texas Wine Marketing Assistance Program wants every Texan to know that Texas not only grows grapes and makes wine, but Texas is the fifth largest wine-producing state. Texas is bigger than France, and like France, offers a wide range of growing environments, grape varieties, and wine styles. Grapes are grown in each of the eight American Viticultural Areas, or AVAs, in the state, as well as in vineyards that are located outside of AVAs. You can learn more about the TDA's Texas wine marketing efforts by visiting uncorktexaswines.com. I was so glad to catch up with Tiffany Farrell and Kyle Johnston, winemakers at Hack Winery in Santa Fe, which is in Galveston County. I first talked about Hack in one of the very first podcast episodes. Their Jaquez Madeira was included in my list of 12 wines that have moved the needle on Texas wine. Then last year, I talked about Hack again because founders Gladys and Raymond Hack announced the sale of the winery to a new generation. It was great to hear from Kyle and Tiffany about the history of Hack, their efforts to deliver great wines and experiences for their customers, and the exciting plans for the future of Hack. Here's our interview. I know you guys have had a lot of excitement over at Hack Winery over the past year or so. And I do want to talk about what you've got going on there now, but I really want to start and um, give a little bit of information about the founding of Hack and talk about Raymond and Gladys Hack. I haven't had the opportunity to meet them, but I hope to. And uh, I'd love to hear you talk about the founding story of Hack Winery. Yeah, so this is circa now 2000, 2001, when they actually opened the doors of the winery. But I know uh, Raymond's told his story. Um, it all kind of started. Gladys gifted him a couple of grapevines for like their one of their wedding anniversaries in like the late '60s, and so it, it kind of blossomed from that. It went from there to planting a small little plot just behind their house and making some garage wine uh, with his friends to to then planting a little bit larger vineyard. And increasing the production some more in his garage. And then they uh, decided to just build a winery. And uh, I was probably, I was 11, 12 years old when that, when that all went down. And I was actually here on opening day in like an oversized blazer with frosted tips, uh, like helping give tours of the winery. 
with my grandfather, who was Raymond's best friend. It's funny how things come full circle, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And um, Tiffany, you've been there a while in the winemaking side of things. Can you talk about your history at Hack? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I started uh, working for Raymond and Gladys Hack in 2017, uh, February 2017. So, um, and it ha- it was one of my biggest joys in my professional career, uh, just learning under them, not just like winemaking skills, but just also um, work ethic and um, just people working with people and um, they're just such big hearts and um, they have so much passion. They are movers and shakers and just seeing that in them is just very, very, very inspiring. Um, But yeah, I was in Idaho. I am a Texan. I'm from Pasadena, Texas, and um, I was living in Idaho, had just finished my master's degree and was kind of in that in-between, like, what's next? I got my master's in hydrology. Um, and so I was kind of like, well, I was working at a winery there. I was working in Sawtooth Winery. And um, some things, I, I knew I didn't want to stay in Idaho. I was missing my family. Um, and so checking winejobs.com every day, basically. And then when I saw a posting in, in Hack Winery in Santa Fe, Texas, I, I just said to myself, that is my job. <laughs> and um, so I applied and had the fortunate um, experience to work alongside them for uh, four years. And it was, it's been great. Um, and so, yeah, very inspiring people for sure. Now, Kyle, you're no stranger to Texas wine. You've done a few different things in the state. You want to talk about your background as well? Yeah, so I guess while I was in grad school, I did different things for Texas AgriLife Extension, some Yano, but most of my experience was at McPherson Cellars working under Kim McPherson and Spencer Igo and those guys. Um, and uh, from there, I went to the Hill Country on 290, Fredericksburg, um, Worked at Hilmi for a couple of harvests. And then one of my professors from tech reached back out to me about developing a winery in Coleman, Texas, which turned out to be Rancho Loma Vineyards. And they they have a tasting room there. They opened one in Fort Worth now. And I think they've moved their production to the High Plains. Um, but then from there, went up to Texas Wine Company um, in Meadow, Texas, which is kind of between Lubbock and Brownfield, I don't know where all the vineyards are, and was making wine there for a couple of years until uh, Raymond and Tiffany actually came up to the facility to to check it out. They were they were looking at some different fruit contracts, and uh, this was like February, right before COVID hit, right before the Twiga conference in February, and um, he he told me then that he was going to go ahead and list the winery. Well, like fast forward two or three days, I'm at Twiga and my business partner, Austin Elrod, calls me and he's like, hey, I just got this email from a broker that I bought another business from and it's saying this there's a South Texas winery for sale. He's like, is it hack? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it is. It must be. So that was kind of like a weird uh, thing because Austin and I were, uh, since I had been at RLV, kind of working behind the scenes on the side to develop a new winery in the Houston area. 
And so he was just kind of like, you know, what do you think? And, you know, from my perspective, it's like, well, I grew up here like this. I've been wanting to try to get home and this was a great opportunity to do that. And so I was like, yeah, man, we'll look at it. So they pulled all the, the financials and, and looked at it with the other partners, which are Troy Kyle and Case Keenum. And um, it was just kind of all, all downhill from there. That's so cool. I know that Hack has made quite a name for itself across the state. Can you give me just some of the statistics about where you source grapes, how many cases you make? Um, I think you, at last I saw, have a small estate winery, uh, vineyard, just a little bit of information, like the parameters of the business. Yeah, we've got, uh, we've, we've acquired the property next door to us, which when it came available. So we've got about 15 acres uh, total here now, three of which are planted um, with Blanc du Bois. Uh, and we pull, you know, a small harvest off that. Uh, but the majority of where we contract fruit are the high plains. Uh, we're, we're probably getting close to 200 tons out of the high plains this year. And you know, we partner with Ready Vineyards and uh, Roland Taylor Vineyards. And they're both, they're about seven miles from each other in Brownfield. And uh, we also purchase from a couple smaller growers just west of Houston purchasing uh, the hybrid varieties down here, Black Spanish and Blanc du Bois. From all that, we, uh, we do about eight to 10,000 cases. And uh, we've got 30,000 gallons of, of uh, tank space down here. We just, we, we expanded our production area uh, on the backside of the winery to kind of accommodate all this wine we're bottling. <laughs> and uh, so we have a little more elbow room now in the cellar and, to kind of grow a little bit, but now uh, we kind of want to halt the growth and, uh, and focus on some other areas of, of still growing the business, but not necessarily on the production side. Cause this, this facility is a little bit, a little bit maxed out at, at 10,000 cases. Well, and you're in distribution. I know I've seen the wines from time to time um, at wine shops, and I've also seen it in restaurants. So Yeah, so we just uh, launched a partner deal with Total Wine & More um, this past year, and so we have about six SKUs in Total Wine & More, um, and that's been really good for us, getting us across the state. Um, the hacks, when they were at the helm, um, they wanted to focus on just Houston, um, and so this Total Wine and More partnership. Uh, Austin is from the one of our investors is from the Dallas area, and so he really wanted to see us more up there. And so bringing Total Wine and More into our portfolio uh, helped us expand into that market. Um, but yes, you can find us at HEB um, Kroger. Our um, Reserve Tiny Port is a popular uh, purchase at Kroger. It won gold at the Houston Livestock Show. I'm ready to go this year. I'm very proud of that. Um, but yes, getting into more on-premise restaurants is is uh, nice. Um, very thankful for Maybe you've had it at the Cabernet Grill, our 2018 Tariga Nacional that won double gold in California. Very, very proud of that. That one's at, um, at that restaurant in Fredericksburg. Um, so hopefully you'll be seeing us at more restaurants across the state. Cool. Well, I had dinner about two weeks ago with two other um, people in Texas wine, and we went to Billy Can Can in Dallas, and they have a really nice selection of Texas wine. And on their dessert menu, they actually have two hack wines, and we had them both uh, side by oh. side, which was so nice. We had um, the Madeira from Blanc de Bois, the 2012, and we had the Jaquez from 2019. 
nice. And it was okay. lovely. It was a nice little side-by-side -side, um, dessert. I want to talk about um, Madeira. From what I understand, Hack Vintage Madeira is the only commercial Madeira made and bottled in the state of Texas. And in fact, can, no one else can call themselves American Madeira because the law changed and Hack had just gotten their application in just on the verge of uh, the timeline from what I understand. Can you, can you tell that story? Yeah. So we've got a, uh, we've got a, a TTB approval from 2002, uh, for a Madeira label. And, uh, I want to say 2005 is when, is when that law was passed. And so at the time we were the only ones in Texas, uh, making Madeira, being able to label it as Madeira, that Madeira style wine. And, uh, I believe there's maybe, Three, three to four in the entire country that can, that can actually do it. They got grandfathered in, but yeah, nobody, nobody going forward can do that. We're the only Texas winery that can, can make Madeira style wines and actually put Madeira on the label. And can you explain how Madeira is made? Because I think it's an interesting um, process compared to just a table wine. Yeah. Well, without, not giving away all our secrets. Uh, we, essentially, <laughs> we essentially make a port wine and then we age that wine for a duration of time um, at a, at a temperature above a hundred degrees. Uh, and then once we feel like it's kind of reached the flavor profile, that is uh, the standard of, of Madeira's uh, we pull it out and hold it in the cellar until we're ready to bottle it. Then we had a quick discussion about which wine professional was the one who encouraged Raymond and told him that the wine reminded him of Madeira. Was it Guy Stout, the Houston-based Master Sommelier? An old article suggested that it might have been Master of Wine, D.C. Flint. Anyway, here's the rest of that conversation. So he was the one who really encouraged Raymond, well, unknowingly, right? I mean, Raymond went home that day after that tasting and was, and then was highly encouraged to find out more about Madeira. Cause at that, before that event in his life, he had never heard of Madeira. He was making like, you know, Kyle described, you know, wine and buckets with his friends in the back. And, um, it's, it's pretty cool to, to see and hear about, uh, Raymond's experimentation with how to turn port into Madeira. So like what, Whenever when one day I was cleaning out our barn and there was this uh, igloo in there, like a, a cooler, and it had been transformed into something. I was like, well, this is clearly not an, a functioning igloo anymore. You know, I'm going to throw it away. And Raymond was just like, oh, my gosh, you found that was my first Estufa. <laughs> so he was putting jugs you know, in the igloo to turn it into Madeira because he was determined to perfect it, you know? Um, but, but yeah. And um, him, him and Gladys traveled to Madeira just to learn everything about it. And that's what I mean. And they're like full force uh, mover and shaker spirit. They're going to totally absorb their vision and like, see it to the end, you know? And so now, I mean, after that, he built an Estufa in 2005 um, and we have it on property. It holds 32 barrels. Can you explain um, what that is? Yes. Uh, an estufa just means oven in, in Spanish or Portuguese. 
And um, it's just a room. It's a controlled environment, uh, like Kyle mentioned, where we keep it at a, a certain temperature for a certain time. And we taste it when it's ready. We, we move it out. And we either lately have been bottling it almost immediately because the demand is so high for the Madeira. But preferably, we'd like to then further age it in the winery. And in fact, um, just shortly after uh, Kyle and his uh, partners uh, took over, we were able to bottle our 15-year Madeira. Yay. So we have that at the winery. It's very, very, very short supply. Um, but I just think that's just a special story of the true grit and passion that people in this great state have. Um, I know you guys make a lot of different kinds of wine, and I was going to ask you about a quote that I read um, that that Raymond made. Um, Tiffany, I'll hand this one to you. Uh, Raymond said at one point that he'll probably spend the rest of his life exploring the possibilities presented by Blanc de Bois. And so, Tiffany, I wonder if you can talk about um, the Blanc de Bois wines that you have, the vineyard on site, and then if you're as intrigued by the grape as he is. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, when I first came to Hack, I had a lot of firsts. Um, one of them was working with hybrids, <laughs> making port, <laughs> making Madeira, and also working with other just Texas varieties that I hadn't worked with before in Idaho or California. So um, it was very challenging and exciting. Um, I have been thoroughly impressed with the hybrids, uh, Blanc de Bois and also Black Spanish. Um, so uh, Hack Winery has made, it's just such a versatile variety. We've made seven different wines out of one great variety. I think that's just amazing. It just makes so much financial sense to harvest it all together, process it all together, and then allocate it out um, to certain batches and what's, you know, the expectation from that point forward, um, with any certain batch. Um, and so I totally respect all of the Blanc de Bois growers, their passion in this area. They're really growing grapes where they shouldn't be, but growing a spectacular, spectacular product. I'm going to first talk about our, our estate vineyard. Um, it has gone through many cycles. Um, it was planted. There's some vines out there that are probably, I've, I've been told, I wasn't here obviously, but 20, 20 to 30 years still planted. But, you know, we are in an area that is uh, highly susceptible to uh, hurricanes and floods. Um, we lost a lot of our vines in Harvey in 2017. That was that that Harvey event happened. My first harvest here, um, and so and actually 2018 was a, a even more wet year, uh, accumulative rainfall, and so we had planted spring vines in 2018 only to have them not survive because of wet feet. So again, in 2019, we've replanted a certain quadrant. There's a low-lying quadrant in our vineyard uh, that definitely needs to be raised and leveled. Um, but then also winter storm Uri has been <laughs> devastating to our vineyard. So we will be reassessing it this spring. Um, bud break is not happening evenly. Um, and I know that we're not the only ones experiencing this, this, this devastation, uh, in our, in our Blanc de Bois vineyard, but, um, so we are hoping for the best and definitely we will invest in the legacy of that vineyard. 
Um, it is a true estate vineyard still to this, you know, we can, we can still call it an estate vineyard. It, it's grandfathered into that. Um, you know, I think now you have to be in an AVA in order to have a state vineyard. But um, so, yes, we will, we will, if we do need to replant, we will, we will do it right. We will uh, this time, you know, create more uh, planning of water runoff and, and such before we, you know, execute any more replanting. Um, so that's still there and still in the back of our minds <laughs> right now. It's in the forefront of our minds, I should say. Um, for harvesting our others, we do have seven growers in what we call the greater Sealy area uh, that we work with. And for us in the past, it has been logistically driven. Um, I mean, you know, the dirty little secret of this business is we, we do want to make money, right? We are a business. And so we make business decisions in the past, like, you know, we're getting a refrigerated truck on harvest is expensive. Um, we have sent sometimes two to three, four, if we have to, uh, 20 ton refrigerated trucks um, to pick up each spot, you know, one by one by one. And it's always been on the same day. And a lot of these uh, little, you know, our, our growers rely on um, volunteers for harvesting. So that has to usually happen on a Saturday because that's when people are available to, for their hands are available outside of work. So it's been challenging in that sense. You know, not every vineyard ripens the same. It's just kind of been an assumption, you know. And so we get we get the Blanc in, and it's all pressed together. And so we're working with, you know, the um, total chemistry together. And if adjustments need to be made, then we'll do that if necessary. But um Moving forward, however, we are looking for a more structured approach where site by site by site, we would like to harvest individually based on ripening, based on uh, plans for whatever the lot may be um, specifically to that plan. Um, and that's our goal for moving forward. Kyle, there are a lot of exciting things going on at Hack with the new ownership team. And I'm sure that you have um, some big plans. Do you want to talk first about, since we're talking about the vineyard, uh, what varieties are you most interested in when you do plant or if you're looking to contract new grape sources in the High Plains or what have you? What, what varieties are you into? So down here, you know, as Tiff mentioned, we can really only do hybrid stuff. So looking at some of these new varieties uh, that people are experimenting with, Save All Blanc, um, there's another one at Christopher Vineyards. Tiff, you remember the name of that variety? Oh, uh, Blanc du Soleil. Blanc du Soleil. So, mm -hmm. from from that standpoint, it's you know, t through trial and error, Raymond learned that he can't plant Vitis renifera down here. Um, everything dies. I think he, at some point he's had Cabernet, he's had Chardonnay, and everything died fairly quickly with uh, the Pierce's disease pressures that we have. Um, so you know, down here, I mean, I would even be open to. You know, doing some just straight native varieties, some some muscadine grapes at our vineyard. Uh, anything anything that'll survive uh, <laughs> longer than a few years. But um, in the high plains, you know, we we definitely have a clear vision of what we want to do and and who we've kind of aligned ourselves with. Ready Vineyards and uh, Roland Taylor Vineyards. We're we're getting a pretty wide spectrum of grapes from. Orange Muscat, uh, Gewurztraminer, uh, Viognier, Roussan, um, 
possibly even some Marsan if it could come available. Um, Pickpool Blanc. We're looking at, uh, we're getting Sangiovese, Tempranillo, Cabernet Sauvignon, Montepulciano, Malbec, um, Petit Verdot, Grenache, Morved, uh, Cap Franc. So we're, our, our palette uh, that we have to work with is, uh, is, is pretty large coming into the 2022 growing season. Uh, so we're, we're excited about that. Um, I actually just got a text from, VJ about uh, I've been I've been on him about trying to get some more Tariga Nacional uh, after you know having the success that we've had with that and uh, so Tiff I don't even know if I told you this we got about seven tons coming to us this year from from VJ's Vineyard so thank um, you Ready Vineyards nice yes. they're great uh, so that's you know <laughs> aligning ourselves with growers that that kind of have the same vision that that uh that we have as far as making premium wines uh of course that starts with with premium grapes um so we're we're excited about our partnerships in the high plains and do you guys use those um grapes primarily for blending or primarily for single varietal wines or combination we'll we'll try to make as many single varietal as we can you know try to keep everything separate separate and then blend from there you know there's sometimes logistical things happen and uh depending on tank space you know you kind of have to pivot uh we ended up in 2020 with like two tons of merlot and two tons of, of malbec and we we're like well we don't really have vessels to ferment each of these in so we put it in one tank and it probably made the most beautiful red wine that we had in 2020 it's just co-fermenting co merlot and malbec uh so those are kind of like happy accidents, but you know, you try to plan as, as much as you can. Uh, I like to try to keep things separate blend later. Um, so that's, that's kind of the goal on the winemaking side here is to ferment individually using unique yeast that we've pre-selected, uh, to try to maximize the flavor potential of these grapes. I got to meet the folks from Roland Taylor at the Twigga meeting in February, and they've got some really advanced technological kind of things on their website. I don't know if you want to talk about what they've got going on over there with their varieties. Yeah, so it's really cool. They've the the clones they're working with um, can be traced back to uh, the varieties that like TV Munson kind of helped save France with. Uh, it's the Antav Inra. And so they've, they've had those clones and they've planted them in the high plains. Um, so we're, you know, we're excited to kind of start making wines with those grapes. We, we got hailed out a little bit last year. We just, we kind of got s small portions here and there. We got a little bit of Merlot, a little bit of Merlot, uh, Viognier. Um, but we're, we're back on track this year. They've, they've added some wind machines. They've added some, uh, hail netting. I believe it's already up. So we we're, we're looking at uh, a healthy crop off off Roland Taylor's Vineyard, and yeah, just great people. Um, they've got a great team. Fritz Westover, uh, Eric Williams in, in the High Plains, and um, they've got a beautiful little estate vineyard uh, in in Chapel Hill uh, with Lenoir, and and which we we made a <laughs> we made a single vineyard Lenoir Rosé this year, which um, which turned out really really good and that and that kind of stemmed from 
a conversation with Carr walking through those vines. He thought it would be cool to make a rosé from that. And so last year we actually grew that intentionally and harvested it intentionally at about 18 bricks knowing we wanted to do a rosé. Um, so it's just it's just cool to kind of have that relationship with the growers and kind of be able to make the wines we want, but also like in conjunction with uh, inspiration from them. I'm sure Gladys and Raymond really wanted the winery to be in good hands because they've built something so special there. What do you think they were looking for in the next people to purchase this winery? What do you think was important for them in the decision? I mean, I, I, I think my involvement in the project, I mean, not to toot my own horn, but they're like family to me. I mean, they're the closest thing to family without being blood. Um, so, and, and the fact that they, you know, that I was the grandson of their best friend of 60 years. Um, I, I think that definitely was, a an allure, you know, that Gladys always tells me like you, you are a godsend, like you answered our prayers. And so for me, that was just kind of like validation that they were able to pass it along their legacy uh, to somebody who they believed in and cared about and, uh, and knew that we would take it to, you know, kind of the next, the next level, which you know, I, I feel like, I feel like we have, you know, we're, we're innovating, thinking outside the box, you know, not only with our products, but with our relationship with consumers and, and some of the services we offer, you know, we, we were very lucky to um, the Texas Renaissance Festival reached out to us about developing a wine tasting uh, for their affair last year, which was, you know, really successful. Uh, and, and Gladys, Gladys told me actually that people that her family actually used to own some of that land that the Renaissance Festival was on. So it was kind of like meaningful to her to kind of, for us to get in there. And then because of the success, they actually asked us if we would be the wine sponsor for the 2020, uh, two festival. So we're, we're, we're doing that. So we're excited, you know, we're, I guess we're trying to, you know, balance tradition and, and innovation. And, uh, but we are kind of, you know, focus on some of the formal data, you know, we've got a marketing team, uh, Nestor Moore and Matt Banzer and, uh, a lot of the, the decisions that we're making, um, uh, you know, you, you look at like the Texas tech wine marketing research Institute, they, they put out some data. And so, kind of trying to make decisions based off, off sound research and data. And, and I guess the goal would be to kind of change the way Texans think about wine as well. And you just want Texans to think about wine in general. I've seen a little bit of that consumer data just showing that so many Texans don't even know that there are grapes grown in Texas or that Texas makes wine. So there's it's plenty of, of education to be done. Yeah. You know, even <laughs> down here, like the one, Hack Winery has been here for 20 years and I can go 20 minutes up the road and there's people that have never been here and never heard of it. And so that's, that's also part of our goal is to, uh, is to kind of just, you know, put our focus back on Houston. Obviously, you know, Texas is a big state, but we, I feel like there's a lot that we can do in, in this market. Definitely. I've heard rumblings that there may be a new tasting room in the works for you guys. Are you ready to announce anything or just <laughs> uh, leave not, that vague? 
Well, so we acquired some property in Magnolia, Texas, which ironically is just about 10, 15 minutes from uh, where the Texas Renaissance Festival is at. Um, and the and the plan long term is to eventually have a tasting room there. But we're, we're kind of shaking the bushes and, and like the DFW market and... Uh, kind of the Houston, San Antonio market as well. And, and obviously, uh, yeah, I mean, Austin, San Antonio, but areas of Houston where we're looking at potentially areas for a new tasting room. Nothing, nothing nailed down yet, but, you know, we don't want to just sell wine. We want to sell experiences. So um, the best way to do that is is, is direct, direct to consumer. Uh, so kind of trying to focus more on that going forward. Excellent. Tiffany, you want to talk a little bit about some of the wines that you have coming out that you're excited about? Anything new going on there? Hmm, let's see. Well, um, a lot of the fun stuff is still aging, um, but we did a Montepulciano this past uh, vintage in 21. Um, we have an Alicante Boucher that we did in 20, I believe is in 20. So that would be going through and tasting that soon. Um We've had some fun projects with, um, we've had some like going in the vein of the barrel, bourbon barrel aged, uh, wines. We, we did some, it's already released and we're already sold out, (laughs) but I'm still so happy and proud of it. It it was a, a Merlot Tariga blend that was aged in, uh, Madeira barrels. And that was really, uh, a great. Uh, product. Um, we're going to be doing, we do have a cab that we've been aging in some bourbon barrels that we're going to be perhaps releasing to our wine club in June. Um, but I'm just really looking forward to what's coming in because of our uh, direct co- to consumer focus. Now we, it kind of opens up our realm of what grapes we can bring in. Whenever you go through distributor, you know, markets, you're kind of limited. Like if you get a cab placement, you've always got to make that cab or, you know, whatever it may be. But from the direct to consumer or even like more on premise focus, we're really free to look and see what's available or what we want to have fun with that year and, and make it. And so Kyle mentioned all the different varieties and contracts we have for 2022. And I'm just really looking forward to this harvest and um, working with grapes that I haven't had an opportunity to work with yet. That's cool. If you're talking to someone back in Idaho who has maybe never tasted Texas wine or um, isn't sold on the idea of Texas wine, what would you tell them is the reason why Texas can make great wine? Ooh, that's such a good question. Well, I feel like it does start with the passion. I mean, this is a harsh, harsh place to grow grapes for one um, because of our variable environment. Um, in Idaho, things just happened. Like it was just, everything was so easy. And then the grapes came in and there was no adjustments that needed to be made. It was just like perfectly chemistry, ready to go. Bam, bam, bam. Things just happened. (laughs) You can literally like, you know, quote unquote, sleep through harvest, but not really. You know what I mean? Um, here it just starts with a really deep passion. I see it in all of our, um, colleagues when we go to, um, Twiga or other uh, membership uh, meetings. And, um, I really love being a part of that community for start. Um, but then also the wide variety of grapes, um, that we can grow here in Texas and work with. 
and what different um, styles you see coming out of other winemakers. It's just so much fun to compare. Um, so that would my my Idaho friends definitely know how excited I am about Texas wine. <laughs> That's good. That's good. So, yeah. Tell me a little bit about what the actual winery experience is like when you visit and what kind of events and things you have going on there. So we renovated the tasting room. Um, it, it had pretty much been the, been the same since, since it opened. So we, we renovated the tasting room. We've renovated the, the downstairs barrel storage. It's, it's more of a private event space now. Uh, we've, we've renovated the home and the bridal suite and the, uh, the tree house. Uh, those are available on Airbnb and Verbo as rentals. Um, so, you know, coming here, we, we offer tours. You, there's, you can really do a traditional kind of tasting now where you're selecting from a list of wines and, uh, it's, the tasting is curated by one of our wine enthusiasts. We also have the, the self-serve Napa wine station machines where, you know, it's kind of like kid in a candy store where you, you get a card. You put it in, you can kind of select which wine you want and the, and the quantity. Uh, and that, that kind of stemmed during, we got those during COVID as just kind of like a, a contactless way to, to, to get wine. Um, and right now it's so beautiful here. You know, we have a full kitchen on site. We've got live music Thursday to Sunday. Um, we're, we're a little off the, off the beaten path. You know, we're about 20 minutes off of I-45. Uh, kind of on your way to Galveston. Um, so you kind of have to intentionally be, be coming here. You're not going to drive past us and just pull in. Um, and so, you know, getting out, getting people out here, there's, we've, we've been trying to get creative with, with ways to do that, doing pop-up wine bars and stuff uh, in Galveston. Um, so, you know, we're still kind of embracing this mentality. I think everybody here of, of change and because uh, you know, people don't really buy products anymore, we're trying to give these like satisfying experiences through high quality products. Um, that's kind of our focus right now. So, what are the stories behind the wines, and uh, and just giving people an entertaining, uh, knowledgeable experience when they come, kind of using our premium Texas wine as as a vehicle. And then you know we've got our marketing team who's kind of incorporating the technology and and innovations platforms to to help us with that. I know there's a little element of celebrity that goes along with Hack Winery because one of your new owners is um, Case Keenum, who plays for the NFL yeah. and is a, the darling of Houston, right? Yeah, he is. He really is. Um, I mean, he's a he's a big celebrity in Houston. We're we're really excited excited to have Case on board. It was kind of crazy how all that came together. So Austin and my brother were roommates at U of H, and uh, Austin was one of Case's backup quarterbacks. So that's kind of how they got to be close and how he kind of came into the fold with hack. And so, yeah, in, in Houston, you can't, I mean, you go to like a U of H game with case and he's just bombarded with people trying to get autographs. So, I mean, he's, he's a true celebrity in Houston and, and as well as he should be. Um, he's still like the NCAA touchdown passing yards record holder and uh, has had, you know, a lengthy career, uh, in the NFL, he just got traded to the Bills, so we're excited for him for that. Rooting for Bills Mafia this year, um, it's just it's a lot of fun have, having him on board. Well, hopefully in the off season he can do some great wine dinners. I'm sure they'll be really well attended. We 
We did. We actually, I was actually just at his house. Uh, we we did. Uh, he had a bunch of U of H alumni and donors and stuff at an event at at his house. He kind of hosted and uh, we poured hack wine there. So, uh, get you know, kind of getting in front of that sort of crowd uh, is is cool for us, and, and everybody really loved the wine, which was which was a bonus. I love it. Well, go Cougars. Yeah. Any, any last thing you want to say? We're excited. You know, we're, we're grateful uh, for what the hacks kind of like the foundation that they, they laid for us. Um, they'll always be a part of this place, no matter what we love them. Um, and we want to just continue to kind of make them proud with what we're doing here and, and, and just building off what, you know, what, what they gave us. And, and we have such a great team here of people and, uh, and, and that's the biggest thing for us is, you know, going forward is, is, is our staff on the, on the production side and then, you know, our front of house and, and kitchen stuff as well. We just, you know, we have a good group of people and um, we're, we're excited about it going forward. Thanks, Kyle and Tiffany. Y'all be sure to follow Hack Winery. They're at Hack Winery on Instagram. That's H-A-A-K Winery. Next up, Demerits and Gold Stars. Here's what's worthy of a Texas Wine Gold Star. A bending branch to not recently made its debut at the Wine Museum of Paris. Thanks to a colleague of bending branch owner Dr. Bob Young, the 2014 Tanat from Newsom Vineyard was poured during a meeting of the International Federation of Wine Brotherhoods. There's a video that includes some tasting notes from the Wine Brothers. It's in French, but has English subtitles. They say the wine is very good. They like the color, and they say that after giving it some air, it explodes with flavor. Very enjoyable for the palate. Congratulations to Bending Branch for making a splash in Paris. I also have a demerit this week, and my demerit goes to the city of Plano for not including wine in the Texas Forever Fest. The festival was billed as a celebration of the food, art, and people of our great state, and it included sampling of Texas beer and Texas spirits. HEB sponsored the festival, so it wouldn't have been too hard to get some Texas wine on site. I emailed the city to inquire and was told that while there's no Texas wine included this year, they're planning to do so next year. Here's hoping. You may remember my recommendation of Heather Renee May's book, Cactus Christmas. It takes place along the 290 Wine Road. Here's Heather with a message. Hi, Shelley. This is Heather Renee May, the author of Cactus Christmas, and I wanted to share with your listeners a special author event, Cactus Getaway, that I'm hosting the weekend of April 30th to May 1st with the Stonewall Motor Lodge. It's an immersive experience on the Texas Wine Trail with wine tastings at Messina Hoff, Texas Heritage Vineyard, and Pontotoc Wine Garden, a four-course, small bites, locally sourced and prepared dinner paired with Ab Astra's wines, a vineyard tour and opportunity to meet the winemaker at Texas Heritage, and an author signing event for book number two, Cactus Wedding. Tickets are available at my website at heatherreneemay.com slash getaway. That's heatherreneemaylikethemonth.com slash getaway. Thank you. I really appreciate all of you who reach out and leave me ideas for interviews and Texas wine news, and also those of you who've written reviews on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode of This is Texas Wine. 
reach out. You can email me at texaswinepod at gmail.com or even leave me a voicemail at 802-585-1286. Thank you to the listeners who visit my website to buy me virtual Texas wine. Your support helps me pay the bills for my podcasting-related expenses. Podcasts are always free to listen to, but they're not free to produce. If you're inclined to support the podcast, you can do that by visiting thisistexaswine.com and clicking on the Support the Podcast tab. As you know, this podcast runs on Texas Wine. Thanks, y'all. Thanks to Texas Wine Lover website for promotional assistance. Visit txwinelover.com to help plan your next winery visit. I'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, cheers, y'all. Cheers.